Welcome back to Break Check, your source for automotive knowledge at the Northwest School. Today, we're going to be talking about dead animals in your heating and air conditioning vents, as well as hypercars. Uh, my name is Merrick. My name is Seiji. And I'm Lewis, and welcome back to Break Check, episode number six. Our apologies for episode number five. We failed that episode twice in a row, unfortunately, and we've learned from that failure not to edit at places that have poor Wi-Fi connection because our the system that we use called Soundtrap will not save those audio files. And number two, do not record <laughs> in an area that has a bad Wi-Fi connection. Those audio files through Squadcast will be lost as well. That's what we've learned. And so we're going to try this. This is round three. We hope that episode six is our best one yet, and it's going to be a little bit shorter today. So kicking things off, we want to talk about, or I would like to specifically talk about dead animals. I had a friend who came up from Bend, Oregon. They stayed downstairs in our basement. And the mom asked me, why does my heater smell like a dying animal? Going off of what I had already known, the reason why it smells like a dead animal is because chances are a dead animal died in your heater vent. You may want to get that looked at, especially if you turn on the heat and it's smelling like flesh. That's not a pleasant smell. So if it were me personally, I would try and get that looked at. But Merrick, Seiji, any any funny stories with that? Yeah, so it's a dead animal rotting. I know that particularly rodents love the wiring wire coating on German cars, usually Audis. Just something with the metal on that. It's really tasty, and they can sniff it out. So they, they there was a case where Audis were just getting chewed through, and they were having to be put on tow trucks taken to the dealers just because rodents, if you parked your car outside, would come and eat your wires. And then so if they Maybe they're cold, like the engine's warm, or go into to your engine bay and eventually fight it into the heater vents because it's nice and warm, but then they trap themselves in there and you smell dead animals. It's happened to me before in my Audi A3, and it's not a pleasant thing to deal with. My strength and conditioning coach, Joe, he has a Cadillac Escalade, and he had a rodent problem at his house, and the rodents were actually eating up the ignition coils on his Escalade, so his car was misfiring. Fun fact, he had to get a lot of that stuff replaced, but I've heard that with Audis. And if you're able to park your car outside or in a place that isn't warm, it could potentially save you money and you wouldn't have to pay someone to go into the heating vents to collect these dead rodents that have likely died in there. So that's our advice to you. Uh, another story I have as well, especially if you live in Issaquah or in a rural area where mice are more common, or just if you're house or the place you park your car is mice in general. Be careful. Try and put rat poison or a deterrent to prevent the mice from getting near your vehicle. One of my friends, one of my ski friends, Jake, his mom, Angela, was commuting from Issaquah to Bellevue, and they live in Issaquah, and they have a lot of mice on their property, and they have a, I believe, a feral cat as well that chases the mice. But as Angela was driving on I-90, before she connected to 405 to go to downtown Bellevue, a mice ran up through the foot heater vent, ran up her leg, and she had to pull over immediately because there was a mice crawling up her leg. Scariest experience ever, but it happens more than you think. So try and park your car in an area that doesn't have too many mice. We've been fortunate enough in our house. We have a single car garage where we have one of our older cars there. 
but we put enough poison there to make it so it's not an issue anymore. The older Mazda 6 was actually a known issue that it would attract a certain type of spider and it would just like clog up the fuel lines because they were really attracted to the gas tank for some reason or something, some fuel line near the gas tank, they were really attracted to it and they'd clog it up with their webs and their eggs. Shifting gears, we'd like to talk about hypercars. We have some new stories that Merrick and Sage are experts in and they'd like to share. Yeah, so let's start with the basic definition of a hypercar. Um, we've talked about supercars before, um, and a hypercar is basically taking that to the next level. So you can think of it as you got your economy cars, you got your sports cars, which is kind of like an economy car, but like more driver focused and still like a cheap alternative or a cheap, like relatively inexpensive vehicle. A little more expensive because it's a sports car and has less luxury features. Then you have the supercar, which is basically more powerful and luxurious and kind of some top brands like Lamborghini and Ferrari. And then you have the hypercars. And these are limited production, ultra expensive, very fast vehicles. Some of them have world speed records for the fastest production car, like the Koenigsegg Agera RS or the Bugatti Chiron 300 Plus. And these are cars that are made for straight line speed and just kind of to show off. Previously, there was the Bugatti Veyron Supersport and the SSC Ultimate Aero TT. That used to be my personal favorite car a long time ago. Like Merrick said, there's economy cars, sports cars, and there's one more in between that I'd like to point out between sports cars and supercars. There's touring cars. Mercedes, AMG, GT... It's faster and more luxurious than a sports car, but it doesn't have quite the performance of a supercar. Yeah, it's still in this kind of the supercar realm, but it's more kind of like grand touring focused. These are like kind of country cruiser cars that you could like. It's like a luxury vehicle you could take on a nice road trip. It's kind of what a touring car is. Um, but hypercars usually have over 700 to 600 horsepower and usually come with a a million dollar price tag so you think of a bugatti that's a car that's upwards of a million dollars that's a great example of a hypercar a lot of people will relate a bugatti to like a very fast bentley in the case that it's very luxurious but it's also incredibly fast and it just feels very smooth to drive not all hypercars are like that koenigsegg which is a swedish manufacturer that has competed with Bugatti for the speed records in the past. The most famous rivalry was the, the Bugatti Chiron, or no, the Veyron Supersport against the Agera RS from Koenigsegg. Koenigseggs are a lot more raw. It's a V8 power plant, and they're not as comfortable to drive in. They're very beautiful cars to look at, but they're really just, this is like a car that you just flex with if you're ultra wealthy you have a ton of money to just drop on a car you buy one of these and you can say you own one and you show a couple people and it's really just mainly a flex car they're not really that practical at all they seldom have any storage space storage space whatsoever i'd like to make a joke here another reason to compare uh bugattis to bentley's is that they're both volkswagens they're both made by volkswagen Volkswagen owns a lot of brands. They own Audi, Lamborghini, Bugatti. <laughs> Pretty sure they own Bentley. 
Yep, Bentley. It's fascinating. And when you look at these hypercars in general, just kind of switching back to that, a lot of them have ultralight construction, an aerodynamic body, and advanced composite materials that create a low drag design, as well as many of them have hybrid motors. So the Ferrari LaFerrari has a 6.3 liter V12 and then a 161 brake horsepower electric motor, the rear wheels. And if you look at a McLaren P1 or like a McLaren Senna, those I believe have hybrid-ish powertrains as well. And the Porsche 918 Spyder was another amazing car with four-wheel drive too and it has a V8 and I believe that has a hybrid drive as well. An interesting note to add is that supercar or hypercars are becoming semi-touring car focused, like I mentioned with the Bugatti. Koenigsegg is coming out with their Gemera, which is a two plus two seating configuration. So it's got two doors, but it has four seats. So two in the front, two in the back. And that begs the question, is that more of a luxury touring car? Or is that still a hypercar because it's got hypercar performance over a thousand horsepower and it's a hybrid drive train. So it actually uses a three cylinder engine making around 600 horsepower and then a full electric drive train that powers all wheels, but it's in combination with the three cylinder. So is that a touring car or is that a hypercar? I'm going to say it's still a hypercar because a hypercar doesn't have to be a two seater. I think hypercars are going to become larger vehicles, but still have their exclusivity, limited production, and kind of the flashy style. I would have to agree with that. I'd say it is still a hypercar. It has hypercar performance, and that is kind of, in my opinion, what makes it a hypercar. It has the practicality or the luxury of a touring car, a Grand Tour but it still performs like a hypercar. And just to be clear, you heard him correctly. He didn't misspeak. It is a three-cylinder with 600 horsepower. So that that engine uses Koenigsegg's free valve technology. So that's their really new radical engine technology that a lot of other cars don't use. I believe it doesn't require a carburetor, something like that. It's really crazy. Most three-cylinders make around 100 horsepower, 90 horsepower. Three-cylinders really aren't used a lot nowadays, but that's really crazy to find that in a hypercar. Three-cylinders are mainly used in cars like the Toyota Yaris and not even the Honda Fit. The Honda Fit has a four-cylinder, but older cars from Japan from like the 80s and 90s called K-cars often used three-cylinders. I'll save K-cars for another episode though. But three-cylinders are really small. Yeah, going back to the free valve, that's a camless engine technology. So the engine does not have cams, which is really radical. Another big part of hypercars that I've seen is a certain component on them. Most, all of them use carbon fiber extensively throughout the car. The chassis is a monocoque style chassis where it's just one giant block of carbon fiber that's crafted and then they put on the carbon fiber body panels. So carbon fiber is an ultra lightweight material so that enables these cars to go very fast, also have really light kind of aerodynamic parts that can provide a lot of downforce at high speeds to keep these cars on the road because some of them go up to speeds up to 300 miles an hour, which is crazy fast when you think about it. A lot of new technology with Lamborghini, they have their ALA, which is their aerodynamic system. So there's flaps that help these cars go incredibly fast around the Nürburgring. And a lot of hypercars are 
taking that technology and modifying it in certain ways so they can give their particular vehicles a performance boost. Yeah, and just to clarify, the Nürburgring is a famed racing circuit in Germany that a lot of cars are tested on to see how fast they can make it around. An example of this uh, air, I guess, air system, well, a lot of cars use active aero, which is like a wing that can pop up when the car needs to slow down to brake or it's at high speed and needs more downforce. Good example of this is the Pagani, which has airplane-like flaps on the front bumper and the rear bumper of the car that pop up when you're going around a corner to keep certain sides of the car planted on the ground. There's a Danish car called the Zenvo TSR1, I believe, which is there. It's called the TSRS. TSRS, that's the road version. Um, it's a road legal in Europe hypercar that has a wing in the back that actually tilts around. It can tilt from side to side to provide downforce to certain corners of the rear of the car when going around a corner, which is really crazy. And it begs the question, does that actually work aerodynamically? You think that that might cause some problems. It might slow the car down. Who knows if it really works because it's a really limited production car and not a lot of people have gotten their hands on it. But it's definitely a cool feature or gimmick about the car. And another car, one of the first cars, I believe, I don't know if it's the first, but one of the first to have active aero was a car I mentioned earlier, the SSC Ultima Aero. And I believe that had flaps similar to what current Paganis have, except I believe it slides out and then flaps up as opposed to being a flap that just goes up. Yeah, the SSC had very interesting aero components. And like Sage said, they slide up from the back of the car, which is kind of weird and I think they were mainly to help the car slow down. A lot of Porsches have what you could call active aero, where you might see if a Porsche passes you on the freeway doing like 60 miles an hour, you'll see that there's a little bit on the back that's popped up. That's actually usually for oil cooling, because when those cars are driving for a long time, they get pretty hot and the rear engine needs a way to cool down because it's in the back and it's not doesn't have airflow on it, so it can't cool easily. So that's actually for air mainly for oil cooling though it does help provide a little bit of downforce so there's a distinction between bits popping up for cooling and also aero bits to help keep the car planted on the road one of the last things we want to close out on is a summary hypercars are amazing vehicles that have ultra light design or construction they have an aerodynamic body and they use certain Air, they use certain techniques to allow these cars to travel around tracks such as the Nürburgring as, as fast as humanly possible. They compete with the laws of physics and have advanced composite materials, low drag design, hyperdrive, and a lot of carbon fiber. If there's a dead animal in your heating vent or if your heating vent smells, go get that looked at. <laughs> if your vents smell like a dead animal, it's there's most likely a dead animal. With that being said, we'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, and we look forward to seeing you in 2021. Tomorrow's our last day at the Northwest School until we go on break, so we hope everyone stays well until then. My name is Lewis. My name is Seiji. My name is Merrick. And all three of us are the Break Check founders, and we are the creators of the Break Check podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.